Hello and welcome back to another episode of Creedal. Now you'll notice I said Creedal and not Creedal Catholic, and you'll hear more about this in the coming days and weeks, but that's because I'm rebranding this podcast from Creedal Catholic to Creedal. Not because we're going to stop talking about Catholic things, but rather because our Catholic theology shapes everything about the way that we interact with the world, the way that we see the world, the way that we engage in the culture. And I have a firm conviction that every Catholic needs to better understand how to engage culture, and every Catholic needs to do that. Now, certainly there are going to be degrees of this, right? The way that a a cloistered monk or nun engages culture is going to be uh, almost exclusively through prayer, whereas the man or woman who has a vocation in the public sphere is going to be doing it in, in a very... Uh, visible public way. So I'm not saying that uh, that we all have to be uh, running for a political office or, uh, you know, having Twitter and Instagram accounts. Uh, in fact, probably less of us should have Twitter and Instagram accounts than we do now. But we do need to all think seriously about the culture um, and make sure that we are uh, preaching the gospel of Christ, um, even to those who don't know it, or especially to those who don't know it. And so Creedal, this rebrand, is... Um, designed to focus on theology and culture. And like I said, I will say more about that in the coming days and weeks, but I'm, I'm putting this on as a bumper to this episode because this episode is not going to be about theology and apologetics. This is going to be actually about culture. Uh, I am going to be joined by my wife, Sally, my favorite human being, uh, to do a read, watch, listen recommendation. And brief bit of background, we used to do these read, watch, listens on our old vernacular podcast, which we are, as of... This week, our, our archiving and shuttering and moving our content that we used to do there to the Creedal feed. So in addition to the Creedal content that you've come to know and love, we'll also be doing some other um, bigger picture cultural examinations. And I'll be uh, talking to other guests, the type of guests that I used to talk to on the Vernacular Podcast um, here as well. So that's why we're doing this. We're doing Read, Watch, Listen. Some of the Read, Watch, Listen recommendations are going to, to, to be exclusively theological, and some of them are not. Um, and uh, that's okay, because we need to think about uh, how our Catholic faith shapes the world around us, or shapes our perceptions of the world around us, or shapes our engagement with the world around us. So that's the idea behind Creedal Theology and Culture, the new name of this show. That's the idea behind this Read, Watch, Listen. And you can expect these Read, Watch, Listen episodes more or less quarterly, because we used to do them quarterly on vernacular. Um, and we love your, your recommendations as well. So send me a note. Zach at CredoCatholic.com. New email as well, Zach at CredoPodcast.com. So I'd love to hear from you. Would love to hear uh, your suggestions or comments or feedback on the new direction of the show as well. So send those along. Uh, and until next time, enjoy this episode of Read, Watch, Listen. And I mean, how could you not? It's with my wife, Sally. She's a wonderful human being. So uh, thank you for listening. And I'll be back next week with a conversation with Larry Chap. Thanks so much for listening to Creedal. All right, Sally, it's another Read, Watch, Listen. Our last one was November 9th, 2020, so it's been... So we kind of skipped winter? Was that fall? Five, more than five months, yeah. Okay. That was fall, yeah, so we skipped winter. Just, we, we just hunkered down and practiced <laughs> uh, having a new baby all Yeah, winter. we read a little bit less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, we have been reading a lot, but we've, we podcasted on this feed a lot less. Yes, so. that's for sure. Uh, but this is also the first Read, Watch, Listen for the Creedal feed. So to our Creedal listeners, Sally and I like to get together every quarter. We used to do this on our old vernacular podcast. Now we're doing this on Creedal every quarter and talk about recommendations and things we've been reading, watching, and listening. I know that with other podcasts, people when people talk about what they've been reading or watching or listening or all of them, I just love those episodes. So I know that our listeners enjoy them too. 
Yeah, no, I, I love getting ideas on yeah. what to read. And uh, so, yeah, I also love Or them. what not to read. True. Yeah, that's good <laughs> If too. someone has, if someone can talk about a book that they didn't enjoy, that's helpful as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I have none of those in that category today, but uh, let's just dive in, Sally. So um, let's do read, watch, listen in that order. So let's start with you. I know you are just a voracious reader. Your reading has slowed a little bit since we've had our fourth, uh, but you've still been reading quite consistently. Every time I you know, glance over at you on the sofa when you're nursing him, uh, you're trying to read, trying to although read, it's yeah. sometimes hard to you know <laughs> juggle both things almost literally. Uh, but yeah, so tell me what you've been reading. Okay. Going back to December, I finished the year reading Little Women, which was the first time I had read that since I was a child and had it read to me by my grandmother. And it was actually a really fun experience and it was a perfect time of year to read it. It just felt very cozy and heartwarming and Christmassy. So I recommend it um, if you haven't read Little Women or haven't read it in a long time. It was a really fun read again. And since uh, the year has begun, I another really great book that I read was In This House of Breed, which is about a woman who in her, she's like middle-aged and her husband has died and she had some tragedy, tragedy with her son. So she's left alone in a very high-powered career in London and decides to leave it all to become a nun in a Benedictine monastery in the countryside of England. And it's a fantastic book. It's It was so perfect to read during Lent, um, but you could read it any time of the liturgical year. And you, you, you see not only her story, which um, you are privy to throughout the book, but you also learn about the lives and the stories of the other nuns, the other sisters or dames as they're called once they are fully confirmed um, or installed or whatever the term is. And I'll mention that people are hearing some noises. Sally is holding our little baby. (laughs) Who decided to wake up right when we started to record. Yeah. The timing has been great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he's, uh, he's joining our our recommendations list here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in this house of read, I, that was the second time I read it and it was fantastic. It was even better than the first time. I know I'm going to read it again sometime. Uh, another, and then it's kind of, um, more, I guess, fun mystery books that I've read. One is city of the lost. And that one was a very interesting take on, um, or just an interesting story, I guess. It was about this society that has been formed where people who want to run away from some sort of bad situation or even criminal history are allowed to go and um, leave their previous identities and start a new town together, which has its problems because not everyone is vetted very well. And so there's becomes this, there's like this rash of crimes, including murders. And so this one woman is um, brought in to help investigate what's going on. And it's a little gruesome, but it was good as far as mysteries go. Another one was the Long Bright River, which um, took place in Philadelphia, which was kind of fun since I've been there. Um, And it's about this woman who's a cop and her sister is actually on the streets as a prostitute and a drug addict. And so you it goes back and forth between the present day where they are interacting. She's investigating a crime. She's looking for her sister who becomes missing. And also you just learn about their their history together their background, their parents, their childhood. Um, and and that was really well done as well. Um, I didn't love the ending a ton, but I enjoyed most of the book and it was it was worth reading. It's such a bummer when the ending just kind of ruins. I guess yeah, in this case it, it doesn't was, ruin, but I can think in several instances, including a sitcom we watched recently, like the ending just- Right. I think it's hard to wrap up it things It almost sometimes. invalidates everything that comes before it and it's very yeah. frustrating. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that'd be hard as an author to just bring all these different threads together and then- 
end it well. I mean, that's why you, and this is maybe jumping ahead a little bit to our watch recommendations, but you could just do what the Coen brothers do and just sort of end it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so people are just like, what? <laughs> There's no neat bow on the end. It just <laughs> right. sort of ends. Yeah. Right. Right. That's it. That's, that's where we stop. Yeah, exactly. Um, currently I just, I'm about a hundred pages into a 900 page novel, Island of the World by Michael D. O'Brien. And this is my- He's a Catholic author. Fourth Michael D. O'Brien yeah. book. Yeah, he's prolific. He's crazy so how many books he's- So you've read Father Elijah, Sophia House, Strangers and Sojourners, and now Island and now of the Island World. Now Island of the World, yeah. And uh, it's come highly recommended. It's actually perfect for the year of St. Joseph because the main character's name is Joseph. He is Croatian and it takes place during World War II. And his life, um, it starts when he's a child. Um, and his life is just kind of torn apart by a lot of the, I don't even fully understand all of the people who are fighting in Croatia. It's because it, it's not your typical, like the Nazis come in kind of thing. There's like a lot of different, there's the communists, there's the partisans. I don't really, I haven't fully been able to track all the different things that are going on, but it definitely rips their life apart. And they're very, um, Catholic, which is beautiful. And they just have this beautiful faith despite being so impoverished and, um, at the, the center of a lot of strife. So, so far, even a hundred pages in, it's, it's a classically beautiful Michael D. O'Brien book. Yeah, O'Brien is such a good storyteller. <laughs> he I, is. I want to read more of his things because I've read the Elijah, parts of the Elijah trilogy, I guess, but yeah, not other stuff. Yeah. Um, great. Those are all good recommendations. Yeah. Okay. So things I've enjoyed reading. So the first one is this novel called Matterhorn or, um, called Matterhorn, named Matterhorn. It sounded weird when I said it out loud. Do you call a novel something or do you name a novel something? Um, I Titled. Think, I think it's probably <laughs> the way that the British sometimes say you call, what are they called? Oh yeah, their like name. someone's name. So I think either one is fine. Okay, well I should have said a novel titled Matterhorn. And uh, Matterhorn is I think the name of like a peak in the Swiss Alps, but it's the in this book it's the name of a uh, fire support base in Vietnam. So it's a novel of Vietnam War. It was written in 2010 by a veteran, this guy named Carl Marlantis, who went to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar after graduating from, I think, Princeton. And then uh, after Oxford, or maybe even during his time at Oxford, went into the went to, went to Vietnam as a Marine Corps officer, lieutenant. And so the novel is a novel. It's definitely fiction, but he has said in interviews that it is basically, it's a real novel in the sense that everything, every story in there actually happened, not necessarily to him, but happened in the Vietnam War. And so it's a sort of, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fictional retelling of many true events in the Vietnam War. And it's just a fantastic read. It's riveting in many respects. Um, it has some slow parts, but I think that was also that's also probably apt for a novel about war, like lots of yeah. mundane patrolling and drilling and then very short, intense sequences of action. Um, it also has like a two or three page discourse that is one of the best things on race relations that I've read in the past year, which is saying something given that I've read a lot about wow. that in the past year. Um, and so if you read this book or you've read this book, you probably know what, what conversation I'm talking about, but it's just, it's just really good. And I highly recommend the book. It just, it delves into a lot of questions about the nature of being human, about the nature of war, about otherizing the enemy, about race, because you have white and black soldiers fighting right alongside each other and it, that creates problems, but also opportunities. Um, so that, that was a really good read that and I, awesome. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, another one that I have read recently is called, um, Fulfillment. And then I think it's win, the subtitle is Winning and Losing in One-Click America. And it is by a ProPublica reporter named, I think, Alec McGillis. And the, the premise, I mean, it's about Amazon in general, but really in general, not in specific, because it's not simply a history of the company Amazon. It's really a sort of retelling of this economic transformation that America has 
undergone over the past 20 years and how it has evaporated jobs and changed life trajectories for millions of people and gotten us accustomed to this you know, convenience of one-click America, as he says it, and displaced and disrupted urban communities um, and just caused us to, to rethink the ways that we relate to commerce, systems of commerce, each other, uh, everything. So it's, it's really, it's, it's exhaustively researched. I listened to it on audiobook while I was commuting back and forth, um, but it was really, really good. And I learned a ton and I strongly, strongly, strongly dislike Amazon now <laughs> so much so that as I told you just yesterday, Sally, I've been reconsidering our, our prime membership. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would be on board with that. It is. I mean, I'm a pro free market person in general, uh, but I recognize that the free market has some limitations and, um, and does not have all the built-in correctives that it needs for moral functioning. And Amazon has just taken advantage of all of those opportunities that it can and created um, opportunities for itself to evade taxes and to wow. get tons of tax credits from the municipalities in which it operates. And it's just, it's just a disaster. Um, and it's displaced lots of people from work or paid them, you know, half of what they were making in their previous job in the retail job that Amazon displaced, et cetera. So it was a really sobering, um, but important story narrative of American life in the past 20 years. And I highly recommend that. So that's fulfillment by Alec McGillis. I think not to mention, I don't even know if the book mentions this, but that uh, you could also just tie that into how it's affected people's buying habits and materialism. Totally. He doesn't go into that too much, but it's certainly a subtext. It's another reason to not necessarily have yeah. membership. Well, I mean, it's so true that you get so used to like, oh, we can just buy it now. I mean, I, I don't know if Amazon still does those, but remember those little like dash buttons? Like if you, you could like put a little button, oh, buy yeah. your toilet paper in your house. Right. And when you run out, you just like tap the button and yeah. it automatically orders it for, I mean, it's just, it's totally ridiculous how, yeah. how frictionless Amazon has tried to make consumerism and maybe consumerism just needs a little bit of friction. Right. You know? Like maybe, maybe that friction is actually a good thing to right. have right. Uh, when we're making consumer decisions. So anyway, the, the final one I've read and the one to which I would give my most hearty recommendation is called, is titled, excuse me, <laughs> a, time, <laughs> a Time to Die, uh, Monks on the Threshold of Eternal Life. So this is a, a, a book by a Catholic author named Nicholas Diot. He is a friend and confidant of Robert Cardinal Sarah, who um, was a high-ranking Vatican official until very recently. He's a personal hero of both mine and Sally's. Yeah, I think I've mentioned his books before on yeah, vernacular. Um, the Power of Silence, God or Nothing, uh, which is actually right here on this desk. I'm about to start this book, actually, God or Nothing. You you read this last year, Sally, or a couple of years ago. Yeah, so good. Incredible. Um, I mean, it just tells his life story, which is amazing. And and God or Nothing is basically an interview uh, with Nicholas Diot or a conversation with Nicholas Diot. So and is so, Power of Silence. So are all of his yeah. books. And so Diot is the author. French journalist? Yeah, he's a French journalist. He's But he's the author of this book, A Time to Die. And uh, the book is a really good examination of death and more specifically, death through the lens of these monks who are preparing to die. And as several of the monks say, like, our entire monastic life is actually one giant preparation for death. Like we are, we are, or we have oriented our entire lives toward death. And so when death comes, most of us don't actually dread it. Sally at family prayers tonight, you and I just sang a song, you know, that I may fear the grave as little as my bed. And that is how these monks look at it. Now that's not to say that all of them feel that way, like at the moment of their death or as their death approaches, some of them certainly sure. do have more anxiety and things like that. Um, but nonetheless, it was a beautiful exploration of exactly how they look at death and why they look at death as um, not simply the end, but 
um, you know, the end of our earthly, our mortal coil here uh, and the beginning of life anew um, with God. And it was a really good reflection of that and one that we don't think about, you know, probably because we're too caught up in our sort of Amazon mindset to link this to the previous book, one that we don't think about enough, but the monks are not Amazon Prime members. <laughs> They're not like prisons of our uh, modern society in the same way that we are. So they think about these things in unique and different ways. And there are a lot of wonderful stories in here about monks who die totally in the peace of Christ and their countenances are visibly enlightened. Their visages are smiling when they die, et cetera. Uh, and this was an especially, um, an especially potent book having, you know, watched my mom pass away from cancer last year. Uh, and this was a gift for Christmas, I think from you, right, Sally? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know it's from you. I was just thinking it was for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are my three, three recommendations for things to read. So that covers the read, Sally. Now we're on to watch. So what do you have to watch? Okay, so everything that I've watched, you've watched. So we That's should true. just make it a joint discussion. All right, well, yeah, we talked <laughs> about this TV a little bit beforehand. Or movies? Well, let's do, like the, let's do the TV ones first, and then we'll talk about movies. Okay, so the two shows... I think just the two shows that we've watched recently. Most consistently, yeah. Yeah, that we have just really enjoyed and completed the seasons of. You know, there's some that we try something and it wasn't yeah, good. Yeah, give it a few episodes, yeah. Yeah, so, but the two that we finished the seasons and are just waiting, so excited for the next ones to come out are Lupin and Ted Lasso. I'm chuckling at Sally because we had this like inside joke with, uh, between me, Sally, and Sally's sister, Elena, who's been on the podcast before. Uh, about the pronunciation of Lupin because... Yes, and we also talked to my sister who speaks French, who's been right. on Vernacular before, yep, Lara. Lara. And so she pronounces it the best. But apparently... Lupin. Amazon Prime Lupin. or Netflix or our 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 like Roku remote thinks that Elena, our sister who's been on the show as well, pronounces it the best. I was trying to get it to say, to, to pull it up because like we have, it's, it's, it's a Chromecast, right? And so you like hold the mic down and talk to it. And I was like, play Le Pen. And it had no idea what I was. Well, and then you tried Lupin thinking Lupin. that that would be the like Americanized. Maybe, yeah, maybe and, exactly. Maybe that And that worked, didn't work. Did and work. then whatever Elena said, that worked. Yeah. So, but yeah, Le Pen, I guess, is the closest I can get to it. But L-U-P-I-N. It's a fantastic TV show. I think it four is French. It's long. set in France. It is all French actors. It has subtitles, um, which for us is not a barrier, but for some it may be. I mean, I, I feel very cultured watching a foreign language film <laughs> with subtitles. So I'm, I'm all about it. We often put subtitles on anyways because our heater is really loud. It's true. So we um, often can't hear it otherwise <laughs> <That's> <laughs> without so like true. waking up our kids. So anyways, this is a heist movie or heist TV show. And it's about- but not like a, not like in the way you'd think. It's not about like a single heist. Right, or a group of people who right. are doing the heist. It's like one guy who is a thief. But he's trying to solve a mystery while he's doing these heists. Right. And I mean, there are certainly, um, yeah, there, there, there are, he's a morally complicated man, I guess I should say. Because on the one hand, he's a thief and he steals things from people. On the other hand, he's trying to solve a mystery that will ultimately vindicate who he believes is an innocent man. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really well acted. Um, yeah, you see these flashback scenes to his relationship with his father mm -hmm. and then also present day, his relationship with his um, ex-wife or estranged wife and, and son. son. And you're just really rooting for them to get back together, yeah. which I love I the show that I think it will. Is, encourages you to root for them. And, and yeah, he's just amazing. He cannot be stopped. 
He's so clever. Yeah, Omar Sy plays. Um, if I, I may, it's like Sherlock him. Holmes. You His just last like, name is S Y. The French pronunciation may be like C or something, but it's Omar. I think it's Omar Sy S Y. Yeah, that sounds um, right. So he plays the lead character. Very, very good. Okay, and then Ted Lasso, which is definitely comedic, um, but it is not cheesy in any way. It is heartwarming. It is funny, <laughs> but it's not cheesy, and well, they don't make fun. I, we should of, a little bit. Like it's a little bit cheesy. Like. There are some like his care, like his personality is like a little bit cheesy. Yeah, but like in a genuine we're not heartwarming f- way. Yeah, we're not making fun of the people. Right? No, definitely not. And this was a recommendation too from Sally's sister Elena, actually. And I watched the first episode. and I was like, "This is stupid." Yeah, we watched the pilot and we weren't sure, but then we thought we should just give it another another try. Yeah, because so many people were talking about it from episode two. I think we were one over. Oh yeah, and definitely. It's Jason Sudeikis, who has historically played some really like goofy roles, but he plays this one. I mean, he's he's kind of a goofy character in a way, but like goofy in a genuine heartwarming way and he knocks it out of the park yeah it's so good i can't wait for the next season to come out okay so that covers it for tv shows our first half of watch second half is movies and it's all about the coen brothers because we watched two recently one was a serious man we watched a couple months ago basically a modern day retelling of the book of job retelling loosely probably. i mean yeah <laughs> that's true yeah that's, i should quote when i first it is loosely inspired by the book of job yeah <laughs> Um, and then the second is No Country for Old Men, which is based on the book by Cormac McCarthy of the same name. Um, and I guess we'll just take each of those in turn, Sally. So A Serious Man, what did you think of that one? Yeah, I, uh, I appreciated it more than I would have if I hadn't recently read Job, because we had just read Job, which That's was true. pretty yeah. cool. And then I appreciated it even more watching a couple commentaries on it to help me process it. And by the way, when we say Job, we're talking about the, the scriptural book of Job. So it's about this you know guy who um, is a righteous, upright man who loves God and then has all of these calamities befall him. And, and yet he never turns away from God. Right, yeah. He asks why, he wonders why, he fails to understand why, uh, but, he, but he does not, he does not um, curse God as the devil wants him to. Um, and so in this, in this movie, basically a similar thing happens to a, um, a guy who's not a bad man, but he's also not much to speak of. Otherwise he, he, yeah, he's a professor, he has a family, but it doesn't seem like life was that great for him before all these things started to befall him, but definitely his life goes down the tubes throughout the whole movie. Yeah. And the movie ends very abruptly as we (laughs) talked about with, uh, the Coen brothers earlier. Um, and basically like this guy's son is at school and is, I think locked out of the gymnasium or something with well, no, his they had classmates, to go right? out because there's a hurricane. Oh, a, a tornado. Yeah. yeah. Tornado. Yeah. They had to leave like evacuation, but I think wasn't like where they were trying to go. The gymnasium or something wasn't it locked. The teacher was trying to get in. I oh forget. yeah. That's possible. But, but then there's this tornado that they actually see bearing down on them. And, uh, the movie ends there and this music starts to play. Yeah. And the music is. Uh, you just got to find somebody to love. Yeah. You got to find somebody to love. Um, and Which so we, thanks to a commentary. Yeah. Cause we watched a couple of YouTube commentaries on this movie after the fact. And one of the commentaries pointed out. Yeah. That, that song is like the voice of God speaking out of the storm, the which, whirlwind, the whirlwind, which yeah. happens in Job. Yeah. And Job doesn't end there. The movie ends there with, right with this, you just got to find somebody to love. But Job ends with, there's more dialogue between God and Job. And, and so this, Job but, understands what God is saying. And then, you know, he comes around and God, yeah, there, it's a lot more positive ending. So a serious man is like the secular retelling, the secular humanist retelling of the book of Job. 
which is not to say that there's nothing there. I mean, there, but there's not God there. Right. Right. So like God is conspicuously absent from the movie, a serious man. Right. There's like one unexplained miracle. Uh, so, you know, that's the, 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 yeah. The, and there's the teeth incident. Three rabbis who and are the, supposed to be the three friends of Job. But the, but even with the three rabbi, it's not clear that any of them really have an animating faith in God. Right. They, right. they dispense, you know, rather sort of like, mon- oh, two of them dispense rather like mundane advice. And, the third just refuses to dispense any advice at all. <laughs> right. And when there's there, his son goes through his bat mitzvah. It's just very meaningless. Yeah. And depressing. And well, and the son doesn't even know actually what, Anything he's, saying. what he's saying. Like, yes. like he, yeah. So that was interesting as well. He memorizes the words, but has no idea how to read them and certainly no idea what they mean because he doesn't understand them. Um, so yeah, that, that was a really interesting movie though. Um, and again, we we watched a couple of commentaries that sort of helped to shine more light on, shed more light on what was going on there. So that was that was interesting. And then the second, No Country for Old Men, a little bit different because they're working off of a more modern piece of literature, obviously, with No Country for Old Men. But if you haven't read the novel, it's a really good novel. And the hero of the book is this old town sheriff, old time sheriff, who, I mean, this is this is like a 1970s, 1980s film or book. So um, it's, or at least I should say it's set in that time period. It wasn't written then, but it's set in that time period. And this sheriff just like, he's not with the times. He's like a man from a previous time. And so he's just a good old fashioned Texas lawman, basically. It's like the good guys fight the bad guys and the good guys win. Right. And the good guys are the law enforcement and the bad guys are whatever. Or like maybe the bad guys win, right? In his view sometimes, but there's like some sort of logic that dictates what the bad guys do. And in No Country for Old Men, there's a bag of money because that's like a great foil for the Cohen brothers, or, you know, in, in this case for the movie, there's a bag of money and there's a dispute over the money. And there's a hitman who's going after the people who went after the money. The hitman's not actually particularly interested in the money. He's really after the people and he's after other people as well with this just complete senselessness. There's no logic undergirding his actions and who he lives and let's die. Yeah. Several times he just flips a coin. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like, that's like perfectly, emblematic of the type of senselessness that animates this character and so this character is someone who the sheriff just simply does not understand but really he reads from a newspaper about another crime and it seems like he just doesn't really understand crime these days right yeah i think he's just sort of depressed by the whole by by the the seeming senselessness of it all and nobody better encapsulates that than this you know russian hit i mean he's a russian sounding name so i assume he's russian but this hitman um i think what's his name like uh Anton Chigurh or something. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, at the end of the movie, the sheriff just ends up like resigning, just walking away from the whole thing because he can't make sense of it. And there's something rather depressing about that ending. Even. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the title kind of helps, I guess, frame it because there's no longer a country for old men, for men who have this sense of right and wrong, that of morality that's kind of clear. And, and so th- there's just no place for them anymore. Him, his father his friend that he talks to at the end, there's just, there's, they have outlived their usefulness, I guess. Yeah, and I think the movie's interesting because it's telling a very specific story about a sheriff who doesn't understand why bad people do the bad things that they do. But I think more broadly, like it can apply to any time we have a, a you know, tectonic shift in our understanding of morality and what happens. So, so I think even today, like you could say that we, that this is no country for old men, <laughs> old men being a term to describe people who are, you know, people of faith, right? We've talked about before on the Credo podcast, like 
um, this this uh, saying that ours is not an age of faith from Benedict XVI. Um, ours is not an age of faith, and so for people of faith, this is really no country for us. That makes me think of the conversation that the sheriff has with his old friend who's in a wheelchair, and he said how he kind of like tried God or he talked to God and God never responded, something like that. And yet still there's no country for him because he has this morality that I don't know where it comes from. Mm. But um, uh, yeah, so it, you're, it's kind of your example is like a, a step up from that or a step down, I guess, where now the people who not only is there no sense of right and wrong, but but uh, those of us who have some sort of faith, we're, we're lost as well. Yeah, it makes me wonder if, um, you know, because like we said in, in The Serious Man, the Coen brothers' Jewish faith, or at least Jewish upbringing, is very evident. But it, it also, I mean, if I were a guessing man, and I don't know either of them personally, so I can't say for sure, if I'm a guessing person, I would say they don't have a personal animating faith uh, in God, it, even if they once did. But those underpinnings are there. And so it makes me wonder if um, No Country for Old Men is kind of a, uh, a creed de corps, in a way, of people like the Coen brothers and perhaps even the Coen brothers themselves who have the the Judeo-Christian underpinnings of a personal faith. Um, but those underpinnings are are now like unmoored and detached from any any sort of personal belief. And so they find themselves like the sheriff just saying, I, I talked to God, but I but he didn't talk back. And yet I find myself totally out of step with the way things are now. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that they seem to be saying that that was that kind of faith, those kinds of beliefs were for a time that we've just entirely left behind. Right. And not necessarily a good thing. Different now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, de- not necessarily a good thing, for yeah. sure. So I, I would definitely recommend both of those films. I mean, there's a lot to chew on. Like, I think I need to watch them both again several times to to fully get what the Coen brothers are saying because they're, they're, they're rich. Uh, and you know, like a tapestry, if you look at a tapestry up close, you can't necessarily, necessarily see the whole picture. And I think sometimes you can kind of miss the forest of the trees through Coen brothers, um, films. So I definitely want to see them again, but I would say if you haven't seen them, definitely check them out. Uh, no country for old men is a more popular one because it was, um, a more successful release, um, box office numbers speaking, but a serious man, I think was just as compelling. Oh, for sure. Um, all right, so that covers read and watch, Sally. Now let's do listen. What have you been listening to? So I, um, my listening has definitely gone down in the past few months, but the the main podcast that I'm listening to is actually the Bible in a Year podcast by Father Mike Schmitz. And while most mornings we read the the passages together, I do end up listening to the podcast at the beginning and the end to get his commentary, which I find very helpful. And uh, if I finish that and still have time to listen to a podcast, then I usually choose Godsplaining, um, which I've talked about so many times. They always ha- they actually um, are doing a film series now where they talk about filmmakers. I think they've only talked about Christopher Nolan and the most recent one is Wes, Wes Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. So, but that's pretty cool. Maybe they'll talk about the Coen Brothers. That'd be that'd be very appropriate. And. Those are the main podcasts that I've been listening to. I always try to listen to Creedal, so I'm always up to date with that. Thank you. Thank you very much for your support. <laughs> um, I uh, currently, or I just just today, finished an episode of, uh, uh, wait, What God Is... What well, God Is Not, yeah. Yeah, What God Is Not, sorry. I always forget the title, um, which is about uh, the second Sunday of Easter and St. Thomas and his doubt and then his faith. And it was just a great 
discussion on why we value St. Thomas and why he is actually really important for our faith and why we shouldn't just discard him because he said, I need to see Jesus's scars. Yeah. Well, uh, you took one of mine there with what God is not. Love oh, podcast. sorry. <laughs> uh, they do a really good job. And um, it's called what God is not because of the Eastern emphasis on apophatic theology. Um, talking about God's attributes by talking about what God is not is the essence of apophatic theology. And it's been an emphasis in the Eastern church as compared to the Western Latin Rite Catholic church. And so those two are both Eastern Catholics. Um, I think they're both Ruthenian Catholics, um, but I could be wrong. They're certainly in communion with the Holy See, but but they're in the Byzantine Rite, and specifically, I think, the Ruthenian Church. So um, that's a really good podcast, and uh, I like your mention of the Thomas stuff. I haven't actually listened to the Thomas episode yet. Yeah, I just finished it today. It's so good. Sally and I love St. Thomas. He, of all the apostles, is the one who, far, who traveled the farthest to spread the gospel. Um, he is believed to have traveled to the reaches of India, where uh, even today the St. Thomas Christians claim St. Thomas as their heritage. Um, and also, we just read this passage in John where uh, Jesus is going back to um, to Bethany to raise up Lazarus from the dead, and the disciples know that Jesus is going to be at risk there because— It's close to Jerusalem. Right, and the last time he was there, people wanted to kill him. So, you know, some of them didn't want to go, but Jesus is going to go anyway, and Thomas— Good old Thomas, the one who's, you know, un- unfortunately frequently remembered as just doubting Thomas. Thomas is the one who says, let us also go with him that we may die with him. And so we see in Thomas, Sally and I, uh, and we're obviously not alone in this, but like for the past several years, we've seen in Thomas, this guy who's so fervently on fire with love for Jesus that he is willing to go and die with Jesus. And so seen in that light, Thomas's refusal to believe unless he himself puts his fingers in the hands of Jesus and into the holes in his hole in his side um, seen in that light, we can now understand that St. Thomas is probably just absolutely wrecked by the death of Jesus and doesn't want to cling to any false hope or fall victim to some delusional fellow disciple who's saying, no, he really is alive. I think I saw him. So Thomas says, you know, I, I really want to believe, but I'm not going to unless I see for myself. And I, I see in that claim myself, really. I mean, I think that's how I would be. Um, you know, as someone who tends to value evidence and, and things, I think that's something I would definitely say. But then the beautiful thing is, of course, Thomas um, falls down and cries, my Lord and my God. And on Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, what the Eastern Catholics call Thomas Sunday, um, we hear that passage read in scripture. And so Thomas becomes um, the first apostle to fall down and worship um, the risen Christ. So uh, seen in that way, it's a pretty great, Great story, pretty great namesake for uh, one of our sons. Yeah. <laughs> so, and Sister Natalia, she goes into a lot of other aspects to this that I could reiterate, but you should just listen to the episode. But one thing that she points out is that we, our faith grows more from hearing the story about St. Thomas than about the other disciples who believed. Mm, that's like, a good point. His lack of belief initially is, it just speaks to us more and does more for our faith than. Um, than any of the other stories do. So we we can just be so thankful for St. Thomas and his weakness that allowed us to then have that story and have that that sign through the Gospels that could add to our own faith. Yeah, I love it. Um, so I've got a couple of listen recommendations that I can add just real quick here. One, keeping in, uh, keeping in the vein of podcasts that Sally also listens to, uh, The Pillar, which is... Um, 
done by J.D. Flynn and Ed Condon, both now who are at The Pillar, uh, a journalistic publication that is focused on reporting about the Catholic Church. They used to be a Catholic news agency. J.D. Flynn was the editor-in-chief there, and now they run The Pillar, and they have this wonderful podcast called The Pillar. You can subscribe to their work on Substack to support them, but you can also get this podcast for free, and it's a great summary of what's going on around the church, and J.D. and Ed are both men of great faith, and I admire them deeply. Hope to get one or both of them on the show actually soon to talk about some things. So, um, you know, maybe stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, while you're waiting to hear, from, hear them here, um, subscribe to The Pillar, and we can talk about, um, or yeah, you can you can enjoy their stuff there. Uh, and then final, um, there's one called The Realignment, which is um, hosted by uh, a guy named Sagar Jetty and Marshall Kostoff, Kostloff, sorry. Um, and these guys, both really young, really sharp, but they talk about the great realignment happening in American politics now. Um, and as something of a, you know, one-time sort of recovering politics junkie, I really appreciate their insights. But it's not just, it's not like about Republicans versus Democrats, which I like. It's really about the like animating movements and shifts in demographics and policy preferences and electorates that have shaped a lot of what we've seen in American public life over the past year and change. So they have some really fascinating conversations with people. And that's actually where I heard about this book fulfillment that I talked about because they interviewed the author, Alec McGillis, um, on their show. So the realignment is another good um, listen recommendation that I have for you. And there's also Ringer Baseball if you're a fanatic baseball fan like me. That's always a good one. But I'll, I'll, I'll stop my recommendations there. I think that's all the recommendations we had, right, Sally? Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm sure I could go on about other things. But those are my top recommendations. And we have um, children who need our attention right now uh, who are not staying in the rooms for bedtime. So <laughs> we should sign off. Okay, so that's it for our Read, Watch, Listen recommendations for the spring. Uh, also, I don't know if we said this, but happy Easter. Yes, um, at last. It is Easter. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. So yeah, we've been really enjoying our Easter season. Hopefully you are as well. Thanks for listening to Creedal Theology and Culture. Uh, and hopefully you are enjoying the content. Let us know what you like, what you didn't like. You can email me, Zach, at creedalcatholic.com or the new email address, Zach, at creedalpodcast.com. Z-A-C at creedalpodcast.com. Sally, thanks for joining me. Looking forward to having you on for more discussions. Thank you. I hope that can happen. It will happen. Well, you hope it can happen. It <laughs> definitely can happen, and it certainly will happen. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, and until next time, God bless you. <laughs>